listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, anyjpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. Quick announcements, a little intro, maybe a preface, maybe a forward. I don't know the difference between those things to the creative career path in this episode you're going to listen to. Real quick, I opened up some personal pep talk, creative career coaching, consulting uh, slots. There's a few different options there. They're on creativepeptalk.com slash shop. I said that I opened them up last week but I forgot to open them up and so I opened them back up and they're still... uh, um, there's still a few slots there, so go check it out. Uh, if you want to get on that, they usually go pretty fast just for the heads up. All right. This is the creative career path series. This was the series of podcast that I was born to bring you guys. I've been literally, literally working on this series for years. I'm so proud of it. I use it in my uh, personal pep talks and my, uh, all of my work really. And even in my own life, I refer to it over and over again. What is it? It's a process for making progress in striking the balance between business and art. It is a process for enabling breakthrough to find that sweet spot in fulfillment creatively and financially thriving. This is the process that I use to get there and it's the process I've seen 
used in other people that I admire. When I first fig- started figuring out some of these pieces, it was from studying the people that are consistently, successfully making creative work uh, with a commercial component. This is the process I use. Uh, look, we're going to, it's a, it's a season of time that you go through this process. It might be a few months, might be a, uh, uh, you know, one or two years that you go through this. I'm not saying that you have to focus on the same thing and the same avenue, the same path for the rest of your life. It's meant to act as a kind of scientific experiment where you uh, have a hypothesis, you test it, you analyze results, and then you press on or you pivot. And you do it over and over and over until you get that sweet, sweet balance of art and business where you're making good money and you're loving the stuff you're making. And this process helps you get there. And just so you know, this series is kind of like you can, you can play it like Seinfeld or you can play it like Friends. It's kind of maybe most like Friends in that every episode in this series can stand on its own. This episode, we're going to talk about goals and personal projects. So that's, that's relevant to you, whether you've listened to the other episodes in the series, but there is a little Ross and Rachel kind of uh, linear stuff happening throughout the series. So you might want to go back and listen through. So that, that'll give you the heads up. All right, listen, last thing I'm going to say about this is that we, we're going to get nuts and bolts. This is the bridge from the esoteric steps in the process. We're on step four and five. They're kind of the bridge between steps one and one through three, which is kind of esoteric, uh, pie in the sky, big picture stuff, uh, to the last steps that are the action steps. Um, This is kind of the in-between. So we're going to get down dirty in the details a little bit. If you, uh, if you're, if, if halfway through you're like, man, Andy, I need you to get weird again. I don't know how, you know, for the three people listening to this that are like, Andy, we need weirder things that feel like you're going to cry any second. Stick around because we will get to that by the time this episode is through. All right. That is my intro. Enjoy step four and five of the creative career path. Right, another episode with the Creative Career Path series. This is where the rubber hits the road. Steps one through three, they're all, they're pretty, uh, you know, esoteric, uh, big picture, ideas based. And this is the part in the series. There's seven steps. We've done one, two, and three. Four and five is where it kind of goes from your head and transitions into your hands, where you get the, uh, it kind of comes down to earth from the big picture section. This is where things start to get practical. They get even more practical in the last steps that we're going to talk about uh, in the next episode. But this is where, this is kind of the bridge between the big picture into the action. And uh, this this phase uh, is where I think the magic happens. I think that everything in my career up into this point hinges upon this, these part of the, uh, these parts of the process. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you a little, uh, little summary of where we've been in this part. So you kind of get an idea of steps one through three. If you haven't listened to the other parts in the series, you can go back and listen to them if you're fuzzy on these elements, um, or you can just 
stay and listen and uh, maybe you already have a sense of these things and you're ready to get to these parts. But either way, if you're ready to set some goals and get your project in order, this episode's for you. If you still have a bunch of questions, you might want to go back, um, but you might want to go back and forth and go back and forth and whatever. So here's what we got. Step one, your industry. Step two, your market, step three, your niche. And you can think of it like a target, like a bullseye. Your big industry, that's illustration, that's design, that's pop music, that's, it's a giant thing, group of people. It's a giant place where there's money to be made. That's why it's a whole industry around this gift. Uh, you know, if your gift is drawing, you might be an illustrator. If your gift is, uh, you know, writing songs, you might be a pop musician. But your industry is determined by what you're good at. And that's probably why you decided to go in that direction. Then a subset of that, so a smaller circle, is step two. That's the market. That's a subset of your industry. It's a part of your industry where people with similar flavors of that gift have congregated uh, around a stream of income. So if you're an illustrator, that's your industry. Your, your market might be kids' books. Uh, that might, your market might be magazine illustration. Your market might be book covers. Uh, if you're a designer in the industry of design, your market could be packaging. Your market could be logos. Your market could be um, whatever. And if you're an, a musician, pop musician, your market could be your genre. So the little scene, what's the scene that you fit into? Either way, however you want to slice it, it's where people with your flavor of gifting congregate. And then the third, the middle smallest circle uh, is where you carve out your own special space within the industry market and niche. So, so in market, number three is niche. So that's the little piece within the greater pie. It is the sweet spot. It's the, if your industry is your gift, your market is where it fits and your niche is how it stands out. It's how it's different within your market. And that's how you find your tiny little sweet spot, your bullseye to focus your efforts. Does that make sense? All right, here it is. I'll give you a little different way of thinking about it real quick. If you want to hear it from me real quick, I'll tell you there's kind of two industries that I'm a part of. One is illustration and the other one is now kind of public speaking. And you can actually split this all up in a bunch of weird ways that I'm not going to do it here because it'll probably just confuse you. But, but just trust me, man, it exists on multiple levels, brother or sister, whoever might be listening or however you define yourself. It's totally fine with me. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So here it is. Uh, my let's say my industry is illustration my market is brand illustration or advertising illustration it's illustration working for brands uh, in that market let's say some typical market rules is that the it's colorful illustrations usually it's loud attention grabbing illustration clean illustrations clear clear clean usually has a message lettering usually happy like those are all of things that are typically the rules of this market of brand collaboration illustration and all of those things define 
my work. They define other people in my sector's work. And I could tell you a list of market models, people that are in that market. And then number three, the niche, that's how I'm different. So not everybody has the same flavor within those rules. So uh, my personal illustration, the way that it stands out is that it's a little bit psychedelic. Uh, it's a little bit mid-century, mid-century and psychedelic at the same time, which is kind of a weird mashup that creates a unique space. I, I, uh, a big part of my illustration is journeys, characters going on journeys. So that ends up influencing the type of work I do. Um, influences from Miyazaki and uh, Tova Jansen, Moomin. You might not know these words, but that's because that's that's what makes me weird. That's what makes my stuff different is not everybody in my market has those influences. All right, we'll do it again for public speaking just to get real clear. Public speaking industry, I'm in that industry and I'm in the market, the creative market. So the creative conferences, art colleges, uh, th those uh, brands that bring in, you know, corporations that bring in public speakers that are creative leaning or want a creative speaker. Um, people within that market have had a creative career or are still in their creative career. They've done stuff. Uh, they make art. They are also comfortable on stage. They can tell their story. They can be uh, entertaining on stage. They have their own ideas about creativity. And with it, so that's their market and that's how they fit in together. And then their niche, how I'm different, I think, is that I'm emo. I will cry on stage. I've got a personal, my personal story is quite a bit different. Grew up without my mom, was a creative mom. Uh, I have interests in lots of bizarre combinations of things like Dragon Ball Z and Boys to Men. Um, so there, that's how I'm different within that sector. And my style, my flavor on stage looks really different than other creative professional speakers. So that's how it breaks down in a practical way. I'll give you one more quick part of uh, summarizing steps one through three and then we'll move on today's, to today's stuff. I'm just going to give it to you in different uh, sectors to, to, to nail it home. If your gift is magic, then your industry might be Hogwarts. If you're courageous and like a hero type person, your market might be Gryffindor. And if you're the smarty pants know-it-all, your niche might be Hermione. Does that make sense? If your industry is basketball, because your gift is playing basketball, then your market might be the Chicago Bulls because that's where you fit in. And where you stand out is your position on the team. You might be a Dennis Rodman. That's your niche. And then the last one, the one we've been talking about, we've been envisioning this entire process as a journey through a hedge maze. And it's kind of Dungeons and Dragons-y, Zelda-y, that kind of thing. And, and the idea is that you chose this maze of whatever your industry is, the maze of illustration, the maze of design, the maze of pop music, the maze of fiction writing. The people that are going to help you through it, your crew, your clan, your party. 
that's the people that are coming with you through the maze. That's your market. And then your niche is made up of your class. Like, uh, you know, you might be a magician. You might be a mage. They, those might be the same thing. I don't really know. I never played Dungeons and Dragons, but I get the general idea. And I wish that I'd played Dungeons and Dragons. Man, when my kids grow up, will you guys invite me to your Dungeons and Dragons parties? Because I tried to be cool in high school and I missed my chance of finding my people, finding where I fit in, finding my class. I never got to do that. I feel like I would have loved that, man. Anyway, your niche is, are you the bard? Are you the mage? Are you the wizard? Are you the elf? What are you within that? How do you add value to this market because of your uniqueness? That's summarizing steps one through three. If you need, if you feel unclear about some of those questions, go back to the past couple episodes and listen to some of the questions that will help you gain some clarity. But that's the target that we're going to talk about in this episode. And next up, we're going to take steps one through three and we're going to summarize them with a really clear point on the map. That's going to be step four, our goal. Let's all right let's go back to our fictional journey that we're going on here you're traveling through the hedge maze it's your creative career path it's it's a tricky journey you found some some crew you're, you've got a, a Gandalf. You've got a, a, I think his name's Gimli. One of the things I love is talking about Lord of the Rings because I know a lot of you are crazy about Lord of the Rings and I don't know crap about Lord of the Rings. So I always butcher this, but that's the, setting the tone. Think about it. Traveling through a maze. You've got your market crew, the people you fit in with, the people that have a gifting like you. And within that, you got your own class, your own part, and you're, you're traveling. You're all doing your part. Sometimes it's time to bring out the axe guy. Sometimes you got to get the staff guy who knows how to say you shall not pass to a crazy fire dragon with magical stuff. You, gotta all, you guys all have your own way of doing it. You're working through the maze. And one night, you're sat around, and you're having a good time playing your music, sat around the campfire, and you just get this feeling that there's this intensity about everybody. And you're having a great time with these new friends that you found. But, man, there's something about this journey that uh, they know something you don't, maybe. They've got uh, some tense, you know, everything's a bit tense. You're like, guys, what's going on, man? Like, lighten up, enjoy the ride. And then the leader of the party says, you don't know, do you? And you're like, what? What do you mean? I don't know what. So you see that tower up there over the hedge maze? And you're like, yeah, that's where we're headed towards, right? Yeah, that's, that's where we're trying to go. It's like, what do you think we're doing? Going on a vacation to this tower? In that tower lies the dragon that only you can slay. <laughs> and you're like, oh no. Oh dear, this dragon is your goal. This is the benchmark of success 
on the creative career path. Now I've heard there's a lot of good ideas around this idea of aspirations versus goals. I've heard people talk about that before and I get it. You know, aspirations are these things that are out of your control to, to do and goals defined as things that you have in your power like you know, an aspiration might be to uh, win the World Series, but your goal is to do uh, two hours of practice every week, right? Now, I'm going to summarize goals and aspirations as one thing, and I'm going to use it in my own specific definition. And here's why. Because I want your, your definition of what we're doing, the summary of your creative career path, the goal on the horizon. I want it to be a dragon that you have to fight, this dragon, he doesn't, he's not in your control. He's, not, he's out of your control. He's a battle. He's a fight. If you're a basketball player, you need an aspirational goal, a goal that says, well, I'm not going to have a goal of winning the, I don't know what they call it, the World Series, I think, is baseball. I don't know anything, man. I don't know <laughs> these regular normal things uh, about, what man, what do they call the trophy in basketball? The championship, I don't know. You want to win the NBA championship. And guess what? There's another team involved. It's not all up to you. And that's part of why the stakes are high. That's where the tension comes in. And that tension, knowing there's a dragon at the end of this path, is why you got to train. It's why you got to fight. It's the thing that makes it challenging and exciting to get you up in the morning because you don't know if you can do it. There's another team. And that's why you got to fight. And so here's the goal. Step four is to define the goal. And here's the power of the goal. You take your industry, your market, and your niche, and you summarize it. You take all that esoteric information, that big picture, all that work we've been doing, and you make, the, make it this finite laser precision by summarizing it in one particular thing that you could do, a benchmark that says you have succeeded on the career path as defined by one through three, steps one through three. I'm going to explain what I mean by that. Are you ready? Here it is. If you are an illustrator, you're in that industry, you're in the market of editorial illustration, your illustration, your niche is psychology, uh, theory, esoteric topics, then your goal might be to uh, illustrate for the New York Times op-ed section uh, on science. You see how that really specific job summarizes steps one through three. If you're in music, you're in that industry, you're in the market of lo-fi indie rock, you're in a niche with an atmospheric Midwest kind of style, then maybe your goal is to be signed by Secretly Canadian, or maybe your goal is to be best new music on Pitchfork. If you're a writer in that industry, you're in the market of sci-fi fantasy market, and you specialize in the time travel mystery comedy sci-fi fantasy, then maybe your target would be the DAW books, Penguin, uh, what, what's it called? The Penguin uh, uh, imprint. 
DAW Books. They specialize in publishing books just like the books that you make. And here's why this is incredibly powerful. First of all, it's incredibly powerful because with a clear target, you will have clarity and that clarity will turn into motivation. You know, when people start talking about making a creative career breakthrough, they instantly go to quantity instead of quality in their efforts. They instantly go to, you know what I'll do? I'll email 3,000 people. I'll send out 3,000 postcards. And yeah, if you can maintain that level of veracity over the next year that it takes you to do that, that might yield some results. But you could, if with this level of precision, you could send out 50 postcards and have 10 times the results. And not only that, but when you have a clear idea and you're marketing towards it and you're building work and a portfolio exactly targeted towards it, you're that much more likely to have success. And so here's how you're gonna do this stage. The first thing you gotta do is research. And uh, it's incredibly important with step four Uh, To do step five, you need step four to be as specific as possible and as tailored to your industry market and niche as possible. So you need to go look at your market models uh, from group two. Go look at the things that they've done. What are the benchmarks of their success? What are the breakthrough moments? What is the top? And you're looking for the top tier. What is it that says they have arrived and established themselves? Maybe it's a magazine covering their work. Maybe it's a specific client with a specific job. The more specific you can get, we'll talk about this in step five, the easier it is to reverse engineer a project, a body of work that is custom tailored towards that so that the directors, the people, the gatekeepers know that you are cut out for this thing. So the first thing you got to do is research. You got to find what's my benchmark, what's my goal, what's the specific thing I could do, the specific job I could get, the specific accolade I could receive that would say I have completed the journey of my industry, market, and niche. And shoot for the stars. Don't shy away. You don't actually have to slay this particular dragon. That's the, that's the funny thing, is that even if you get halfway, you might be able to build a career around that. But get really specific on your target. Make it aspirational uh, and, and, and be extremely clear. And then the second thing I want you to do, after you feel like you have a perfect target, you might have a brand and a specific type of job that they could hire you for, or you have a, a record label or whatever it is, you have this super micro precise end goal, big old goal. I want it to be as precise as you can to where you can write it down on a piece of paper the size of a fortune cookie paper and then put it in your wallet, put it in your purse, put it somewhere that you can have it at all times. And this freakish little piece of paper will take over your subconscious. There's, there's actually brain science that says that when you have this, like one of the reasons your subconscious doesn't work for you, and it's this massive part of your brain that uh, does a lot of the work, like usually it's just trying to keep you alive because it doesn't have clarity 
But if you can have that kind of clarity, your whole brain, even when you're asleep, will start working on how to make progress towards this thing. And here's the other side of it. This is where your story gets interesting and where there's interest, there's motivation. You know, I don't know if it's my ADHD or what, but I'll tell you what, when I lose interest, when I lose my uh, curiosity, when I don't have any wonder in my life, a kind of situational depression starts to set in. I lose my zest and zeal for life when I don't know what I want. And uh, Donald Miller, uh, a few years ago, wrote a book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, and he talks about how life is not unlike a story, and a really good story has to have a character that wants something. And yet, I feel like we walk around with this ambiguous sense of what we want. We really have no idea. And, and figuring out what you want, it's a process. It might even be a seven-step process. But it's worth it because the story starts, the story starts to get interesting the second the main character has a want that they'll die for, that they have a want that they'll work for, they have a want that inspires them to action. Find that want, put it on this little slice of fortune cookie paper and put it in your pocket and let's slay this dragon. not convinced yet of the power of a specific goal, I'm talking strangely right now, uh, if you're not convinced yet, here's the power, and, it, and the power lies in step five. Step five is a personal project, your project, self-initiated work, perfectly poised to take down this dragon, and that's where the power of the specificity, specificity comes in, and here it is. Imagine the tower is on a coloring book page at the top and maybe near the tower there's like a brick wall, a dead end, a hole in the ground. These are all at the top of this coloring book page. At the bottom of the coloring book page are all these various weapons that you could choose. Your pencil sword, pencil bow and arrow, pencil axe, pencil mace, pencil size. But I like weapons. I've always been into <laughs> lots of weapons. There's all these weapons at the bottom with lines going up, scribbly, scraggly lines all meshed up. And you got to figure out which weapon is going gonna, is gonna to be the perfect weapon to slay this dragon. Which of the lines from which weapon go to the tower and don't go to the hole in the, uh, hole in the ground pit uh, brick wall. And, and if you're smart, if you're a smart kid, here's what you do. You don't start with the weapons and trial and error which of them is going to lead to the tower. You go to the tower and you reverse engineer the line back to the weapon, right? Does that make sense? So here's your tower. You have the specific goal. So, okay, the thing is, you've heard 8 million creative people tell you you need to do personal projects, right? But I feel like they lack the strategy and the specificity to really change your career. I'm guessing if you listen to this podcast, you've done some self-initiated work, but it didn't actually get the... 
uh, end result that you wanted. And actually, over the past 10 years, I have done so many personal projects, and over time, I have learned how to get them to actually work for me. How it goes from the Dory personal project thing where you just keep swimming, just keep making, just keep making, head in the ground, not thinking about it, just making it whatever the hell you want at whenever you want, like and it doesn't actually get you anywhere. You can make, you can do a 365 art project, uh, but if it's not tailor reverse engineered from your goal, it's probably not gonna get you where you wanna go. And I see too many creative people doing it, it drives me freaking crazy. I wanna say, come on, like let's enhance this personal project with some real strategy so you're not just making and making and making in a, in a relevant way. And I think this is the key. It's having this specific target. I wanna work for the New York Times op-ed section with, uh, on science articles. Or I want to work for the Real Simple magazine on their section where they do like a Dear Abby thing. Or I want to work for Target and I want to do the billboards that they do in New York time, uh, in Times Square. I want to, you ha this specific target means you can reverse engineer a project, a body of work, a portfolio of work that perfectly proves that you can do what they're looking for. It's a way of incepting you into their minds. You basically do the project before it was given to you. And it shows them you're the perfect candidate. Does that make sense? All right, I really wish sometimes when I say that makes sense that there was someone here that could say, yeah, Andy, that makes sense, but there's not. I'm just a weird guy recording myself in a room. Anyway, here's what you do. I want you to take that specific target I want you to look at the type of work that they respond to, the type of work that they use, the type of uh, the specifications. If you're an illustrator even, you can measure the space on the page that you want to work in and make that the specifications of your project. If they only work in black and white, your project should be black and white. Whatever it is, if you're a packaging designer and you want to work for a co coffee brands, make your own coffee and design the project, design the packaging. And so you study this specific point on the map, you study the tower, and then you design a weapon that's perfect for taking this dragon down. And there's a few layers of strategy that you can build into this personal project. And uh, here's how it starts, the number one layer the thing that you've got to do with this portfolio or with this project is you have to build out your portfolio. That's the number one thing you got to do. And when I say a project, here's what I mean. I mean a, an ongoing self-initiated project where you create rules and you stick to them. You say, I'm going to make 10 logos for coffee brands over the next 10 weeks constraints. You're going to say, I'm only going to use these two colors. You're going to make rules. You're going to make a, you're going to set a time frame or an amount of things that you're going to make. You're going to, it's going to have a start and an end. And actually next week we're interviewing the people behind the hundred day project and we're, I'm going to do a hundred day project as part of this process. But 
basically a self-contained project with a start and an end, whether that's how many things you're going to make or how long you're going to make stuff, uh, with rules and a brief. And it's essentially the project is if that thing that you want to ha want, ha want to have happened, that client or that opportunity came to you and said, we want to make a movie. We want you to be the star of the movie. Your project would be maybe a short film that's exactly like the movie you want to star in or a sliver of it. But it's a, it's a completely self-initiated, you can collaborate with other people, but you can't wait for the fairy art mother to show up and hand it to you. You have to take it by the reins and make it happen yourself. The first level of strategy is it needs to be a portfolio. Take this podcast, for instance. This podcast was a reversed engineered project for getting hired to do conference talks. That's why I did the podcast because I, that's the, that was my target. My industry market and niche target was to do that. And so the, I created this personal project of podcasts. And I said to myself, I'm going to do a hundred episodes that are essentially a hundred different talks. And at the very least, the level of strategy is it's a portfolio. Anybody that comes in contact with it, any conference that I want to speak at, I could send them this portfolio of talks and it proves that I can do what they want me to do instead of them having to see some raw potential. The second level of strategy that you could bake into this that I think you really should bake into it is that it should be content marketing. A lot of personal projects aren't. A lot of personal projects, all the value is for the person making it. It's just whatever they want to make. And it has nothing to do with an audience. And if it has nothing to do with an audience and it has no value for the audience, the audience is probably not going to spread it. What is content marketing if you don't know? Content marketing, which we have epi whole episodes on this. We have, I can go on and on and on about this. But content marketing is, uh, unlike advertising that steals your time to steal your money, you know, think of a McDonald's commercial that's like, hey, we got chicken nuggets for sale. Go, go buy them. Content marketing is Old Spice saying, hey, here's 30 seconds of free laughter in exchange for your attention so that you can remember our brand. And essentially, it's a personal project that has clear value for your audience. Like it's going to make them laugh. It's a, maybe it's an Instagram project that makes them laugh every week. Maybe it's a daily project that makes them laugh every day. Maybe it's a little bit of delight that you're giving them. Maybe you're giving them a fun fact. Maybe you're giving them a tutorial. Maybe you're giving them um, whatever it is. It's got value targeted. If you're Sears and you sell exercise equipment, your content marketing m might be articles about fitness that help them get the most of your products. But the key is to give away value, not be too spammy, not be too much about you, and give away something within your project. Here's how you do that, though. You say, if you want to work for the New York Times doing these articles, illustrating these articles, you write your own psychology articles. And they can be novice. They can even be on Instagram, or you could turn it into a zine. But essentially, the value that in New York Times has given away is the same value that you should embed into your project, which will, which will make better portfolio pieces, which will prove that you can do what they're looking for, but it also delivers value. So if your value is you want to do packaging for beer, uh, what's the value of beer? It'll get you drunk, right? So, <laughs> but 
you like <laughs> went off on a weird segment, uh, Dave Chappelle thing. Um, but think about it this way: uh, don't be satisfied with a portfolio piece. Take it to the next rung. Make your own beer and give it and send it to people in the industry that are willing to receive it. Send it to people that will share it. Three value. Make your own beer. Package it up. You've got real value and a portfolio piece. Those two pieces should be embedded into your project. Now, I'll give you two extra layers of strategy that would be great to add if you can, but you can't guarantee it maybe. And that's, we'll say another level, level three would be influencer marketing where you're, like I said, sending this beer to other people and maybe they share it on social media or uh, maybe you're collaborating with other people in your market, but it essentially becomes networking. Lots of personal projects have done this where you do a, you know, a zine for charity or a charity show that involves other people in your market and that's a way of marketing yourself and establishing yourself in that industry. The last layer and the kind of uh, golden goose, if that, I don't know if that makes it, if that means anything, but it sounds really good. The golden goose layer, we'll call it, uh, <laughs> the holy grail, maybe that's more accurate, layer of the personal project is an income stream or a passive income stream. When I made this podcast as a project, reverse engineered from my goal, I had, I knew I could make a portfolio of talks. I know I could make content marketing because I'm giving free value away to creative people, uh, giving them, you know, hopefully somewhat entertaining thing, as well as informational thing, as well as making them feel some things, um, Influencer marketing by having guests on the podcast that would share it and be part of it. And then the final layer was the income stream. I didn't know if I'd ever make a dime on the podcast and it didn't really matter because it already did the three, the top three layers that I was looking for, but now it's become an income stream as well. And that is the full potential of one of these targeted projects that you maybe get into it so that you can get jobs with you know, sophisticated magazines or do book covers and you write your own books and put covers on them and maybe they sell. That's your golden goose, right? Um, <laughs> I really hope that golden goose doesn't mean anything because that'll make this so much funnier and weirder. Um, quick examples. Let's give you a few examples of how to do this. If, you, uh, if your industry market niche is defined by... Uh, illustration, brand collaboration slash advertising in the niche of colorful, fun, friendly uh, character stuff with lettering with a little psychedelic twist like my illustration, right? A perfect target for that person might be to do the gift card designs, gift card designs at Target. Not to make it, it's kind of confusing because the Target is Target, but I stick with it. You know, at the end of the aisle, they have these gift cards and people in my market do designs for those gift cards that say happy birthday. And if I was going to reverse engineer a project from that, I might design something to the exact specifications of that gift card that say happy birthday. And it's a series of eight designs and I'll make them content marketing by, uh, by uh, by making it a Facebook project and telling all of my friends and followers that it, they are free to share on people's Facebooks when it's their birthday. And so that's free value. 
for an audience that helps it spread. And then maybe I send them to my friends uh, on their birthdays that are in my market. Uh, if I'm if I'm in the industry of design in the market of packaging, and my niche is irreverent, rebellious kind of guy in the hipster crowd, maybe I brew my own IPAs and design all the packaging, and I send them to different people, and I ask them to hashtag it a specific thing. But do you see how I'm going the extra mile? It's not just mocking up a beer, and you know you could turn you could make. There's, it's endless, the things you can make. You can make a package of nuts and design the package of that. Whatever you got. What kind of weird hookups do you got? Does your dad bake his own nuts? <laughs> does, does, he, does he roast his own beans? Um, uh, you know, I'm a strange guy. Here's the thing. This whole process of industry market niche, goal that summarizes them, personal initiated project that reverse engineers your pure potential exactly how you should be hired this didn't i've used this over and over in my own life this is my story but it's also the story of all of the people that exemplify the creative career path this is just a thing that i first saw in other people that knew how to successfully straddle the line between business and art over years and years and years. You know, back in my little crew, I saw Jessica Hish do this with the Daily Drop Cap project. I saw Dan Casaro do this with his state motto project. It had all the layers of uh, all the levels of the personal project that we're talking about. This podcast was one. Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. Uh, both those dudes, Brett and Jermaine, they both did all their comedy shows, eventually wrote it into a show. Though That show where they were writing and singing these songs, both turned into their careers of getting hired for these things. Jermaine went on to be uh, this very particular type of character that's very similar to his character in Flight of the Concords of the show that he wrote singing these songs and musical numbers and kids shows, and Brett did the same. Matt Damon did it with Goodwill Hunting. Mindy Kaling uh, from The Office and The Mindy Project had written her own plays in the same style uh, before any of those jobs came to her. Pete Holmes did the same thing with his latest show, took his story, took what he wanted, wrote his own version of it. Broad City was a web series before it was on Comedy Central. El Luna, who we're going to have soon on the show uh, next week, actually, sneak peek. Didn't know if I was going to give that away now, but I am. Uh, she she wrote her, her big book that changed everything, started as a blog post. M83, last example, M83, that band, the, the album Hurry Up, We're Dreaming plays out like a movie soundtrack, uh, looks like an 80s movies, uh, obviously soundtrack, cinematic quality, telling this dramatic story, then turns around to score films. In my life, it's looked like the indie rock coloring book getting into working with indie bands, the Nod Project. I did a Color Me Blank project. I did uh, a book cover project. I did 
Art Directions, which was a blog that was essentially creative pep talk before it was a podcast. And I did it as a blog because I wanted to write my own articles so I could illustrate them so that other brands and other magazines would, would ask me to illustrate their articles. Let's wrap this bad baby up. Send her home. First thing I want to say is, uh, you know, sometimes I'm working on through this process with creatives and creatives, you know, what makes them creative is their ability to see possibility, but ends up what ends up hurting them in business or hurting them making progress is they see so many possibilities and then don't want to actually act on one or, or focus on one long enough to make it happen. And, uh, you know, here's my challenge to you. First of all, I'll just say that I'm not asking you to focus on one direction for the rest of your life. You're hopefully going to go through this process seven, eight, nine, 15 times in your creative career. And eventually all these market and niches might turn into an ecosystem of different types of work that turn into a great income and a lot of creative fulfillment where you're doing a lot of different things that keep you jazzed. Uh, but I think you got to focus for a period of time if you want to enable breakthrough, if you want to own your own breakthrough. And the other challenge I'm going to tell you, if you don't really feel like making this specif specified project, this type of work, let me ask you this. If you, uh, if you can't imagine creating a project, doing article, illustrating articles on psychology for yourself, what makes you think that you're going to be fulfilled by the New York Times coming and asking you to do it for them? If you don't want to do it for you, why are you going to do it for them? Yeah, you might get a little buzz the first time they ask you or the second time or the third, but eventually if this goes where you want it to go and it turns into to a career of doing this over and over again, if you don't want to do it for yourself now, why are you going to want to do it for them later? And so it's got a clarifying effect. Do you really want this? Is this really the dragon you want to slay? <sighs> and there's another thing I want to challenge you with. Accepting this calling, this journey, owning it, doing your own personal project. It's going to require something pretty deep from you. And it's a belief in yourself and I actually feel like step five is this transcendent moment in the journey. There's a transcendent thing that happens when you have to go into a period of time where you are believing in you. There are so many people that think, you know what, I'll believe in myself when the dragon comes and falls at my feet trembling, saying, you are the chosen one. I'm not worthy. When the New York Times shows up on my door, when Apple shows up on my door, when Starbucks comes along, when Pitchfork says I'm best new music, then I'll believe that I got what it's take, that it, that I got what it, that I got what it takes. Then I'll believe that. But guess what? If you don't believe now, you're not going to believe them. What do you, th then what do you think imposter syndrome is all about? You've got to pick yourself before they pick you. You've got to prove it. And in order to prove it, you've got to believe it yourself. You've got to see that there's a time where even uh, your master's belief in you is not going to be enough. There's going to be a time when Sam can't put the ring in for Frodo. There's a time when 
Neo has to realize that he has a chosen destiny that Morpheus can't fulfill. There's a, that, that Harry doesn't become the chosen one until Dumbledore dies. That Moana has to realize that it's not Maui that's going to return the heart to Tafiti. She's going to have to do it. And uh, that's going to require giving space to this voice in you. It's probably been there since you were little, but the world smacks it out of you. You know, I work with creatives all the time and I ask them what's their gift. And when they start talking about what they believe they're good at, they shrink and they shrivel and they, they, uh, they recoil when asked to say, what do you believe in about you? But you got to go back. And the, and the good news is I believe that belief is already there. It might be tiny. But it's enough if you'll give it some space, if you'll give it some room, if you'll give it some belief and some time and some discipline. I believe that when you were little, there was a thing. You knew you were the one that was good at hitting the ball. You knew you were the best tree climber. You knew that there was something about you that had something to give to this world. And then you grew up and then you got in and things set in. And at some point you probably believed that this is pretty much what it's going to be like. But if you will unlock this personal work, this personal project, if you will pull it from the stone, the sword in the stone, this, the, your project is your sword. This is a transcendent moment where your destiny stops being the thing that happens to you. And it's the thing that you make happen. And I want you to do something with me real quick, all right? It's going to get weird. You know, I like to get weird. I'm a weird guy. You know, one of the things that I think is funny about me is that I know a lot of you guys think that I'm strange from listening to this podcast. I'm, I kid you not, this is not an exaggeration. You probably get to see about 10% of my weirdness. So just buckle up over the next 10 years, baby. I might just be able to drip a little bit more weirdness on you episode after episode until you get to the full stash of strangeness that is me. Man, Sophie knows the weirdness. My wife, she knows how, how much weirder I am in private than I am in public in my, in my family life. So let's get weird for a second. Here's what I want you to do. Just pause what you're doing for a minute, unless you're driving. Uh, and close your eyes, unless you're driving, and uh, just stop for a minute. Just imagine that you are the chosen one. Whatever your style, you can be, be the medieval link, fantastical medieval niche of Frodo. You can be Moana. You could be Harry. You could be Luke Skywalker in space. I don't care. Whatever your flavor, you are the chosen one and you're at the point in the journey when it's time to take things into your own hands. It's time to quit waiting for Hagrid to show up and tell you you're a wizard. It's time to quit waiting for your fairy art mother to show up with the, the pumpkin carriage, the pencil pumpkin carriage. Quit waiting for that. It's not going to happen. It's time to take things in your own hands, this personal project, this self-initiated work, this stuff that you're going to make happen. It's your pencil sword in waiting, locked in a stone. It's waiting to be unleashed. 
It's waiting for its master. It's waiting for the chosen one. Now, there's a catch to pulling up this personal project, pulling it off. There's a catch to pulling up this sword from the stone. You got to believe in yourself. You got to believe this self-initiated work is actually going to pay off to have the discipline and the motivation to do it. You got to believe you can slay the dragon with this thing. You got to believe it's the key to unlocking your creative career path, destiny. The only way you can pour, pull this sword from the stone is believing that you are the chosen one. That's the secret to being the chosen one. It's the belief that unlocks the weapon. So step up to the stone. There's this altar with this with, with this weird pencil stone, pencil sword in the stone. And some vaguely Seeger Ross-ish ambient tunes kick in. And maybe your hair loses gravity. It gets lighter. It's starting to swish and sway as these cosmic-y stars and energy start swirling around the altar. And this energy bursts in as the heavens open up and a beam of light hits you with its warmth. And the plants and the flowers around the altar start rapidly bursting and blooming. And you reach for the sword. And for a second, you doubt it. Is there anything that I'm here to do? Do I really have what it takes? Is this really going to cause a breakthrough? But you say, no, this thing was made for me. I am the chosen one. And you pull the pencil from the stone. You point it to the sky and you're struck with a creative spark of creative exuberance. And you shout, let's go get this fire-breathing SOB. Come on. Now, that is the weird uh, fantasy hero's journey, storytelling, creative self-help kind of cocktail that I like to drink. Don't you? Do you? I hope so. I hope that was uh, tickling your fancy. Uh, It tickled mine. (laughs) Uh, All right. Thanks for listening. If you love Creative Pep Talk and it's had some kind of impact on you or your creative career, there are a few ways you can support the show. If you're one of those types of people that likes to give back, you can review the show on iTunes, rate and review. It really does make a difference. If you haven't done that, please do. You can back the podcast financially and be a producer of the show at patreon.com slash creative pep talk. You can get some creative pep talk merch at creativepeptalk.com slash shop. Uh, you can also get access to the first 100 episodes of the show and stay up to date with new episodes by signing up to the newsletter at creativepeptalk.com. Thank you very much. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y. I don't know if you know this, but the theme music, the, st- the music you hear at the beginning of the show is the band Y. They're one of my all-time favorite bands. I discovered them in college, went freaking bonkers for them, and now they're the theme song of my show. Thank you, Yoni Wolf, for making that happen. Uh, makes me so happy. Thanks to Nate Utesh and the band Metavari, M-E-T-A-V-A-R-I. You can find them on Spotify. You can find them at metavari.com. They contribute a bunch of other songs. Giant fan of Metavari and just a fan of Nate Utesh. He's one of my favorite people. All right. 
Thanks to Alex Sugg for editing the show and adding some extra tunage that just rounds this bad baby out. Thank you, Alex. Thanks to all of you for listening to another episode. Thanks for sharing uh, the podcast with your friends. Thanks to the Creative Pep Talk pepperonis for all the uh, the evangelism, all of the telling everybody about the show, the super fans. Dudes, man, we have come so far. I cannot believe. Man, three and a half years ago, I was recording 10-minute weird, crappy audio uh, creative pep talks into my iPhone on the bike trail in my town and uh, all the way to what we're doing now. I love this community and relationship that we have developed together. I want to open a Facebook group for the pepperonis for Patreon backers. I'm, I'm looking into that, but I just want to say thank you guys. You guys are amazing. I love this weird community of big-hearted, uh, light-hearted, creative people. I love filling up your tank every week and until you're running dry again next week, stay pepped up. <laughs>